Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. Today's Flower Tree selection is entitled, Aspirations. In ignorance, ambition flew to the highest realm, stating, I wish to be divine. Closing, a door creaked with laughter in a gentle way, then politely yet firmly I was sent packing back to a lower world much less sublime. Still foolish, though just a little wiser, I offered to be a prophet, which at the time seemed quite reasonable a stand. But then I learned, and this took a while, that if I did my very best, even then, my condition would be less than the stations in which their lives began, and far below the plane which destiny had set for their spirit's ascent. Chastened, my goal was recast. How about saints? I inquired. Any openings there? The answer came through silence. I began to sense how vast was the difference between the friends of God and the whims of a mystical fraud. So humbled, I started to live in a simple way, with just a single hope that some fine day my heart might find release from the cocoon I had spun with the fabric of desire. Peace came to me slowly, after many years of work, and I forgot about the vain goals which marked the folly of a youth filled with emptiness. Then one night in the quiet of my soul, a light appeared that made things very clear. If I will try to be myself, I might realize the divine presence in my being, where God and I are as one, except He remains as He is, and I will do the same. This edition of the short story segment of the podcast is called The Worthless Son. Although, as a man, the father despaired over his son, nevertheless, as a father, he loved the youngster. However, everything the boy did grated against the man's basic nature. The father didn't care for the boy's personality, attitudes, habits, friends, activities, choices, or interests. Again and again, the father had lectured the youth about this or that aspect of the latter's wayward style of living, but to no avail or so it seemed to the father. As far as the father was concerned, the boy only had one good quality. The father had never known his son to lie. 
nonetheless in the opinion of the father this one quality was not enough to offset all of the other problems which he saw in relation to his son the boy always listened to his father without comment and with equanimity the youngster believed his father to be a good man with considerable wisdom about the world and as well someone who had a good heart but who unfortunately often let his better self get buried beneath a variety of ideas about how the universe did or ought to work. Whatever was of merit in the father's words of counsel, the boy tried to incorporate into his life as best he could and in his own way. Whatever the boy believed to be untrue or unfair in those words, he let go without resentment. The boy loved his father, but the youngster also knew that as a son he was a huge disappointment to his dad. His father wanted him to make something of himself in the world, to be a success, to be someone of whom the father could be proud. Instead, there was just an intense anguish concerning the son which smoldered beneath the father's exterior, like a ground fire which lingers in the roots of a forest. From time to time, anger about the son's situation would erupt from the father as some event or set of circumstances would fuel and fan the omnipresent smoldering, flickering flames. The mother was caught between two worlds. She loved both her husband and her son, but after many bitter experiences, she had learned that keeping silence and patience was often the best way to approach the problem. After all, no matter what she might say in the boy's defense, the father's disgruntlement in relation to his son was so strong that his wife's attempts to sow seeds of empathy for the boy tended to fall on fallow ground. As is often the case, the mother knew things about the boy which the father did not understand and or appreciate. She also knew her husband, and when he got in his moods of disparaging the boy, Words formed a very ineffective levy for stemming the flood of her husband's tirades. Wishing to bring peace to the family and desiring to bring to the surface the love she knew the boy and his father harbored for one another, she began thinking about how to resolve the problem in a way that might, once and for all, put the father's concerns to rest and reconcile the two. She considered a number of possibilities and rejected them due to some difficulty or weakness inherent in those plans, problems which weren't initially apparent but came to light with a little analysis. Finally, after several weeks of constant reflection, one plan arose in her heart that she felt, God willing, had the best chance to accomplish her purposes. She would set about implementing the idea tomorrow afternoon when her husband had finished work and the boy was back from school. The next day, when the boy and his father had returned home, she said, Son, I was wondering if you would help me out. The boy smiled and replied, Sure, Mom, what do you want? I'm preparing a special dinner for us, and I wanted to give the meal a festive look. So would you go out into the fields and collect a variety of flowers, which can be placed in several vases within the dining room? Her husband, who was reading the paper, shook his head slightly and rolled his eyes a little as he thought about the problems which his wife was inviting by asking the boy to do anything. This look of contempt was hidden from the boy by the paper, 
but his wife noticed the expression. She ignored her husband's attitude, went to a countertop in the kitchen, and selected a large birch bark basket with a handle. She gave the basket to her son and said, Don't be too long. Dinner is going to be ready soon. The boy left on his mission. After the son had left, the father remarked to his wife, You know, you're just asking for trouble. He'll find some way to foul things up. You should have called me and told me you wanted flowers. I could have picked some of the flowers up at the florist on the way home. I'm sure you're right, dear, she answered. But I always feel that if we give the boy just one more chance, maybe he will turn things around and demonstrate his true worth. She had a strange smile on her face. Her husband noted the smile and sighed with a certain amount of exasperation, as they often did whenever his wife acted in a way that seemed to defy reason. Nevertheless, he looked at her in a loving way and said, That's just one of the many things that I love about you, your capacity for hope. Then, after a short pause, he added with a note of disdain, even in hopeless cases like our son, as he returned to his paper with the reports about the real world. Several hours passed and the boy had not returned. The meal had been growing cold, waiting for the youngster. The coldness of the meal was in contrast to the hotness of the father. For the last hour he had been criticizing in turn first his son for being unreliable and then his wife for being too soft with the boy. Just as the father was on a roll with respect to berating his son, the boy came into the kitchen through the back porch. The basket in his hands was empty. The father saw the basket, gave his wife an I told you so look, and exploded in anger. Why haven't you done as your mother asked? Can't you do anything, even the simplest of tasks, correctly? The boy was in tears, not just because his father was angry with him, but because he had, most likely, deeply disappointed his mother. He ran to his room and threw himself on his bed, sobbing into the pillow. His mother indicated to her husband to come with her to the boy's room. Reluctantly, he accompanied his wife, glaring all the way. When they got to the boy's room, his mother sat down on the edge of the bed, rubbing his back and gently said, Son, what happened? Why didn't you get the flowers for which I asked? The boy turned over, still crying, and hugged his mother. I'm sorry, Mum. I really did try. So what happened? demanded the father. The youngster looked towards his father over his mother's shoulder while the boy was hugging her. The boy appeared to be thinking how best to respond to his father's demand. The mother gave the boy a warm squeeze and stood up, going to her husband's side. Both of the parents were looking at the boy, waiting for an explanation, the father with impatience and the mother with empathy. The boy looked at both of them and then hung his head. As he lowered his head, he said, Whenever I tried to pick a flower, I could hear it singing the praises of divinity in its own unique way. I could not bear to interrupt the flower's remembrance of God, so I left the flower alone. The same thing happened again and again, and I must confess I found their singing so beautiful and enchanting that I kept joining the flowers in their songs of praise. All of this delayed me. When I realized the sun was about to set, I knew I would not only be late for dinner, 
but I would have no flowers to bring back, and my fears about how I would be received here caused me to hesitate returning for a while longer, until I understood that further delay would only make a bad case worse, and so I came home. The boy's mother looked over at her husband, not knowing quite what to expect. There were tears in his eyes. He went to his son, hugged him, and said, Can you ever forgive a stupid old man who does not recognize a treasure of great value, even when it appears before him every day of his life? The boy's heart leapt with joy at his father's words, and he said, Father, I love you. As he looked over his father's shoulder, he could see his mother's face, radiant with happiness and admiration for his son, who had not disappointed her in the least, quite the contrary. A cold dinner was delayed for a while longer, since the three had much about which to talk. The title of this week's musical interlude is Revisiting.
from the wave-caressed shores of the Gulf of Maine, you are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. This week's meditative essay is titled, Hakika. Hakika is the reality of all realities. Hakika is the truth behind all truths. Hakika is not a substance, thing, object, entity, material, field, force, or energy. Yet, Hakika is woven into the fabric of each of these. Hakika does not occupy time or space. Rather, time and space exist by virtue of Hakika. Hakika is neither a quantity nor a quality. While all quantities and qualities receive their properties through Hakika. Hakika is not a function of ideas, concepts, thoughts, understandings, interpretations, or theories. However, all of these presuppose and make allusions to Hakika, each in its own way. Hakika is not religion, philosophy, science, or mythology. On the other hand, Hakika is sought by and is the raison d'etre of all of these activities. Hakika can neither be described nor explained. Nonetheless, descriptions and explanations, whether correct or incorrect, cannot exist except through Hakika. The eyes, mind, imagination, heart, and spirit all see Hakika according to their capacity to do so. But Hakika transcends what is seen. Consciousness, being, will, light, hearing, and speech all exist because of the presence of Hakika. Nevertheless, all of these bear witness to the absence of Hakika each in its own way. Every chord, song, melody, rhythm, counterpoint, harmony, chant, hymn, tune, aria, and symphony is an echo of Hakika. Every drawing, painting, sketch, tracing, etching, spattering, composition, impression, collage, and picture is an attempt on one level or another to capture Hakika. Information, knowledge, understanding, insight, inspiration, gnosis, and revelation simultaneously disclose and conceal Hakika, each according to its nature. Everything reflects Hakika in terms of its capacity to do so, but Hakika is independent of all capacities. Genius praises the intelligence of Hakika but cannot fathom the depths of wisdom. Talent soars on the wings provided by Hakika but cannot comprehend what makes flight possible. Purpose and meaning have value only to the extent they give expression to the mystery which Hakika has placed within us. Significance derives its importance from what Hakika loans to it. Hakika underwrites our being, but we remain heedless of the presence of Hakika. Our vision is made possible by Hakika, but most of us continue to be blind to the source of the light through which the visible becomes manifest. We should will ourselves to seek Hakika, yet we suffer from complete paralysis without the restorative assistance of Hakika. Hakika enables us to act, however most of us act as if we were independent of Hakika. We are able to speak due to Hakika. Unfortunately, most of us often use this gift to speak out against 
and distort Hakika. We hear because of the mercy extended to us through Hakika. Nonetheless, many of us remain deaf to the call of Hakika. We swim in an ocean of Hakika. Somehow, most of us manage to stay dry. Hakika comes with every breath we take, but many of us inhale the oxygen and reject Hakika. Every second, our hearts beat to the rhythm of Hakika. Nevertheless, most of us do not understand the significance of the sound. Our consciousness is aware of itself, and we think this is quite amazing. However, most of us are unaware of Hakika, and as a result, we trivialize the potential of consciousness. Hakika bears witness to everything we do, yet many of us are not interested in reciprocating. Hakika seeks us out of love, knowledge, and generosity. Many of us seek to run away due to narcissism, ignorance, and selfishness. Hakika always treats us with justice. Many of us are intent on treating Hakika with injustice. Hakika calls on us to forget falsehood and remember reality. Many of us call on ourselves to forget reality and remember falsehood. Hakika gives expression to tidings of both hope and danger through prophets, saints, and spiritual guides. Many of us ridicule both kinds of message. When we denied Hakika, we deny our true selves. When we ignore Hakika, we ignore our essential spiritual capacities. Some people say the culmination of mysticism involves union with God. However, one cannot attain what already is the case. According to Sufi masters, one of the primary goals of the mystical path is the following. If God wishes, we should aspire to have the ignorance and darkness dispelled, which prevent us from experiencing and reflecting the presence of Akika in our lives and being. Consequently, one of the fundamental accomplishments of the mystical path is to realize, as fully as God gives us the capacity to do so, that in essence, we are nothing but a manifestation of Hakika. In order for this to occur, what needs to disappear is, if God wishes, the illusion that other than this could be true. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Music